Welcome to the Garden Angeles, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Hey, Carol. Hi, Dee. Summertime still. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a small respite, and now we're back up in the hundreds again, but I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about other things, happy things. Happy, happy, happy things. You came up with a a very uh, apropos poem in this hectic world that we live in. I did. Uh, All kinds of things going on in the world, and it makes me want to spend more time in my garden. Yeah, it's not been an easy week in the United States because we had some bad things happen. And um, I thought this poem really applied to how we need to have more time to do the things we want to do and be with those we love. So I'm going to read it. It is, here it is. What is this life if, full of care, we have no time to stand and stare? No time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as sheep or cows. No time to see when woods we pass where squirrels hide their nuts in grass. No time to see in broad daylight streams full of stars like skies at night. No time to turn at beauty's glance and watch her feet how they can dance. No time to wait till her mouth can enrich that smile her eyes began. A poor life this is if, full of care, We have no time to stand and stare. William H. Davies, The Collected Poems. That was really nice, Dee. Yeah, it's it's longer than our usual quote, but it also makes you kind of think because it's all about getting back out there and um, being part of nature, which, as you know, we love nature. And so, although it is hard to go out there in 100-degree heat, but maybe early morning when it's only 70 Right. Get out there. And we say, get out there without your social media. You don't have to be connected to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You just need to go out and enjoy it. Right. There's a time and a place for all those things, including podcasts. And you can take us with you if you want to, especially the weeding episode if you want to weed and you're bored with it. But also take time to just enjoy your garden. Don't um, don't work so hard. I, and I'm saying this because I'm so bad about that. Sometimes I work so hard that I forget to just simply look at the garden. And I'll tell you, Dee, I've got the book for you and for me and for everybody. And we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. Cool. So our flower today is Rudbeckia. Rudbeckia, which is a huge genus, huge, 20 species. 20 species beneath that Rudbeckia title. And um, most people who gr- at least grow a mixed perennial garden will have at least one Rudbeckia or black-eyed Susan in their garden. Although not all black-eyed Susans are black-eyed. That is true. Most of them are native to North America, which is nice for those who are wanting to have a native garden. Uh, in the United States, if you're listening in Great Britain, this is a great exotic plant for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. There's a lot of our plants that have been taken by the people in Great Britain, improved, and then they send them back to us and sell them to us. So <laughs> I always think that's kind of funny. It's part of the Composite family, which is my favorite family. I know that. It's not mine, but I still like them. They're all right. They're good, they're good plants for Oklahoma and they're easy to grow. So the one that people grow most often in their gardens that is truly perennial 
is Rebecca Fulgita Variety Solventi. And I, I should have said Solventi. And it's Goldsturm, Rebecca Goldsturm. And it's extremely popular because it's almost bulletproof. You almost can't kill it. Um, it, it spreads by underground stems. It also spreads by seed if it reverts back. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. Um, do you want to talk about it or you want me to? Well, I can talk about it a little bit. I have a big, I'll call it a big puddle of it. I have a big area which has gold sturm and, uh, it just kind of keeps on plugging and chugging and doesn't seem to be bothered by the fact that when I planted it, it was in full sun and now it's in partial shade. So it doesn't bloom as heavily as it once did, but it still has a very nice bloom on it. And so I'd say it is, everybody can grow it. It's, it would be hard to kill it off. Yes. And if you know me, you're welcome to have some of mine because I have many puddles of it and I'm actually thinking about removing some of it. Would you like to know why? I mean, I do remove some every year. I remove about half of it every spring because anywhere that's moist and we are moist in the spring, usually in Oklahoma, it spreads like wildfire here. But that's not really why I want to maybe remove it down to just one small puddle. You want to know why? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that we claim the word puddle as our description of a small planting of the same plant. Okay. Okay, well, you can call it a puddle. You can call it anything you want. I know exactly why you want to start getting rid of your gold sturm. Yep. Last year, I was reading, I was reading a book that's called Grow What You Love, 12 Food Plant Families to Change Your Life. Um, It's by Emily Murphy, who has a garden called Pass the Pistol. And um, I I don't think I read it in her book, actually. I think I saw it as a tweet, but I haven't been able to confirm that with her yet because I just thought about this this morning. Um, Basically, I didn't realize that Goldsturm doesn't have much pollen pollen or nectar. The pollen's there, but it's not very available. And the nectar isn't real high um, because it doesn't really need pollinators that much. Now, I will say this. My gold sturm has been in here since 99 when it was, I think it wasn't at night. It was probably 1999 that it was the perennial plant of the year or somewhere in there a while back. And so I planted some and I think mine has reverted back to something else um, because even though it still spreads by those underground roots or stems, it also produces a ton of seed, and I have it all over the garden, and it attracts skipper butterflies. It does not attract bees on my ground. And what do I have? Bees. So, <laughs> yes, you have beehives. You need butterflies right. for your bees. So you could you could put out the call to your friends and neighbors and. They could come and get your gold sturm and plant it in their own gardens, and you can replace it with something that's very right. bee attractive. I will probably we'll talk keep about those later. You know, I'll probably keep some, but I'm just not going to have so much. And also, it kind of likes to choke out other things in my garden, and so I really need to remove it from this one bed that gets quite a bit of water because it's at the bottom of a tier, and so all of the water goes down to this bottom tier, and that's where the gold sturm is like taking over. It even beats back the Becky Shasta daisies. So there you go. Anyway, I'm glad the Xerces Society, I confirmed that with them about the less less nectar, not a great source. And so I'm probably going to go back to doing more Rebecca Herta varieties. 
Yes, and let's talk about that because this is uh, also a common black-eyed Susan. And I, you, I kind of get, you know, you see black-eyed Susan in the garden center and a lot of the plants that are potted up and mm-hmm. have the nice bloom all over them in the spring yep. are Rebecca Herda. And so you, you grow yours from seed. I do. I grow mine from seed because of a very good reason. Most plants in the nurseries are sold at the time that they bloom. And because of that, they are um, sold here in the middle of the hot part of summer. I know, Rebecca Herta, doesn't it bloom for you a little later than it does here? Probably. Yeah, it starts here pretty early. And sometimes they force them into bloom earlier than they would naturally bloom. Right. So that they can sell them earlier. And if you're going to buy them already potted up, sometimes they just don't. Well, let's just put it the way. They don't adapt very well here if you do that, if you plant them in the middle of summer. In fact, my daughter Megan just did that about three weeks ago. She was very excited, went to the local nursery and bought some. They were very pretty and um, put them in her little flower bed. And then they promptly withered and died. And then she came to me and asked me why. And the reason why is it's a really bad time to plant. And I felt kind of sorry for her, but everybody has to go through that stage in gardening where they try things and then it doesn't work out. And so you learn from that mistake. In fact, you know, 40 years later, I still learn from mistakes and learn new things. I I go ahead and do mine. I start them indoors in early Mm -hmm. March and then I transplant them after the last freeze. I could plant them directly outside, but it takes them so long to get going that they might be attacked by caterpillars before they ever get a chance. You got to get them good and stocky before they bloom. Right. And a lot of these Rebecca Herta, Rebecca Herta, I should say, like Irish eyes, which has the green center in right. my neck of the woods, they don't overwinter so well. And so a lot of times they are sold as a potted annual and people will grow them in containers and, um, you go to the garden center a little bit later in the summer and you'll see them in bloom. And for people who want a quick pop of color, some of these are pretty mm-hmm. good to get for that quick pop of color. If you don't like mums, later mums or whatever, these are not too bad. The Rebecca Hurt. No, they're Rebecca really pretty. Herta. They're pretty. And you can tell they're Rebecca Herta because they have the hairy leaves. You know, they have that kind of fuzzy leaf on them. Yes. And um, there's Irish eyes, which is a very common one that you can find seed for. Prairie sun is one I grew last year that's a bicolor with a light green cone. And there's also Cherokee sunset, which I actually have growing out in my front flower bed. And Indian summer is another variety. In fact, there's so many varieties right now of Rebecca Herta. I would just encourage you to pick one that uh, pollinators can actually use too, because we might as well. Right. Then there's two other Rudbeckias we want to talk about. I grow both of these. Um, there's, I do not have Rudbeckia maxima, which is a really, really tall back of the border plant. I mean, really tall. Yeah. How tall is yours? Six feet. Easy. Six, five. That is tall. It's very tall. In fact, you can't really see the blooms except for far away. Um, it's got the most beautiful leaves. It might be something to consider growing. I bought my first one at Bustani Plant Farm years ago, and then I went back and bought another plant, and it makes a nice big rosette of leaves, and the leaves are gray-blue, and it doesn't bloom for a long time. Uh, maybe if I deadheaded it better, it would, but again, back to 100-degree heat. I'm not exactly out there deadheading right now. Uh, 
It is very beautiful, and so you do get those great leaves. And then they're pretty short. I'd say they only get a foot and a half. And then, so it is a tall plant when it's blooming? Yes. Well, I don't have that in the back of the border, but I've got another plant called cup plant, which is not a black-eyed Susan, but it's in the same family. It's uh, Silphium perfoliatum. Yes, I grow it too. And it is like, it's about six feet tall and has the yellow daisy flowers that are typical of black-eyed Susans. Of course, it doesn't have a black eye. It's got a yellow eye. It does. And it's called cup plant because the leaves form a small cup at the base of the stem. I mean, at the stem and the leaf where they meet. And if you get rain, which we don't right now, but if you get rain, um, it will, a little bit of moisture will be in there. And the thought is that pollinators like it. It also has square stems and square stems mean that that sucker spreads. It makes a nice big clump in Oklahoma. It's a huge big clump in Indiana as well. And I deadhead that one with great religion. I deadhead that one because I do not need that self-sewing because those stems are like an inch square. Yeah, they're huge. They're huge. And it's very hard to dig up. My son, when I decided to move it out of the bed that was facing the street and back in a corner where it couldn't cause any trouble but still be available... Um, my son had to help me dig it and it was a freaking nightmare and we had to put it in a big wheelbarrow and wheel it over to its new home and dig a giant hole for it. So if you decide to grow cut plant and I'm not saying don't, it just is huge. Unlike Rebecca Maxima, it is, it, it makes nice tall flowers, but the clump of leaves is just not as, well, it's just nothing like the other one. Right. So if you want yellow composite flowers, six feet tall, but don't want to have a permanent planting a cup plant like I've got, <laughs> then Rubecchia maxima might be the way to go. Might be. Might be a better alternative. And then another nice tall plant is Rubecchia subtomentosa Henry Eilers. There's a shorter version of Henry Eilers too. I can't remember the name right now, but Henry Eilers um, makes a nice, you know, makes a nice clump and probably gets five feet, five feet. Five four in my garden. It's as tall as me, but it has cute right. little quilled petals. It's a pretty thing, and it's I love it. It's it's probably my favorite. Um, it's not a black eyed Susan. It's considered a sweet comb flower, and it's one of my very very favorite plants right now. And by the way, bees and butterflies love it, love it, love it, love it. And I have that one in my garden too. And I just I think as far as Flowers in the Compositae family, you cannot beat that one. And we'll have to show pictures of this on Instagram. Yes, we will. Because it is, it is stunning. And all these plants, they bloom starting sort of like high summer and take you into fall, which is really nice. They really do. And if you deadhead them, they bloom longer is what I've noticed because they often have blooms underneath that need to come up. Um I'm going to give a quick plug to my garden column that I write for Oklahoma Living Magazine. Oklahoma Living Magazine. Go for it. I write a column for them four times a year. And I just wrote a column about rubecchias and six other plants that can beat Oklahoma summer heat. I will link to the online version of that on Facebook. And it mentions many of which should be a really good thing for our um, for our listeners. So you can actually read online right. whether you live in Oklahoma or not. 
Right, because I bet everything that you suggested would probably grow in Indiana. Yes, in Texas and Kansas, pretty much anywhere in the middle part of the United States and other places too. They're great plants. Most of them are native or are varieties of natives. Um, two key problems, two key diseases, plague black-eyed Susans. There's septoria oh, leaf man, spot. there's problems. Oh, man. <laughs> aren't, there, problems. aren't there always problems? <laughs> we were on a high note, D. We were on a high I'm sorry. note. Go for it. Okay. These are small. These are small problems. Uh, septoria leaf spot, which also affects tomatoes, oddly enough. And aster yellows, which also affects purple coneflowers. We discussed both tomato problems and purple coneflowers on last week's episode. So if you want to go read, hear more about those, I said read, hear more about those, listen to last week's episode. They are also, Rebecca's are a host plant in Oklahoma for the silvery checker spot butterfly. Do you have those in Indiana? I don't think we do. I'm going to have to look it up. I've never seen them, but I don't really pay attention. Okay. Well, if you have little, <laughs> as much as I should. If you have little caterpillars in mass on your, especially on your Rebecca herta plants, and just they're I defoliating. Don't. Okay. Well, they skeletonize. Nope. Okay. Well, good for you people in Indiana. For you people who live further south, like Oklahoma and Texas. Silvery check a spot butterfly, although a wonderful pollinator in the garden, their babies will overwhelm young plants and they really love the Rebecca herta varieties. And so I, uh, I don't know how to put this. Okay. Those of you who are really butterfly people and can't stand to see a single caterpillar go to the great caterpillar grounds in the sky, don't listen. What I do on my Rebecca herta plants, if they're small and young, is I squish those caterpillars or I take a leaf off of the plant and relocate them to the gold sturm plants because nothing will kill those gold sturms and they can be completely defoliated and come right back from their stems. It's amazing. In fact, um, I, you, a nuclear blast might kill gold sturm, but that'd be the only thing. So that's what I do. I'm just saying. Okay. Go on. And so one, one of our listeners is going to, email us and say, my Goldsturm died. So they must have had something like beyond a nuclear blast. Who knows? So it is fairly, it is fairly um, difficult to kill it. We'll just say that. Well, it does need but water. If you do kill it, it does need water. It, right. It's not going to grow in the desert. No. So it is not plastic. As I've said several times before, only plastic plants don't need water. So you do need to give Goldsturm occasionally a watering, but not a lot. That's true. All right. So we recommend getting some black-eyed Susans to bring your garden from summer into fall. Especially if you can get some sweet coneflower, which is Henry Eilers, and add it to your garden. It's a beautiful native. There you go. And we'll put a link to a, so- a couple of sources to it in our show notes. Let's move on to the vegetable garden. Yay, vegetables. It's the high time for vegetables for both of us right now. I am picking, picking, picking tomatoes, peppers. I've had green, last of the green beans, last of the corn. I got beets. I got onions. I got eggplant. Still some squash. What do you got? I've got tomatoes, peppers in such abundance that I've been sending them to, with my husband to work. 
um, because everybody down there really loves them. I've been giving my mom tomatoes. I always have a source for tomatoes if I can't eat them all. My mom is a tomato-eating machine. Um, it's a running joke in our family how much she loves tomatoes. In fact, I think she commented on my last tomato post on the for the Garden Angelus and wrote, like, all in caps, tomatoes, yay. I'm not making fun of my mom. She's a nut for tomatoes. Uh, cucumbers. I did not plant corn. Front, something happened to my green beans. I have no idea what the deal is, but they just didn't produce very well. I was out of town. Um, I have no squash because I did not plant squash. Because remember, I designated this year as the pepper, tomato, and eggplant year. So I do have lots of eggplant, and I have really enjoyed eating it. Right, and I forgot to mention, I, I'm starting to get cucumbers. My plants are still piddly, but... You know, I've had some cucumbers and I just love them. But They're so the, good because the you didn't because you didn't plant squash, you're going to miss out on Thursday, August eighth, has been designated National Sneak Some Zucchini onto Your Neighbor's Porch Day. That's hilarious. And who came up with this great idea? A Pennsylvania guy named Tom Roy, and it's in the Almanac. So it must really be a thing. That is the funniest thing, thing ever. So, it must be. But you know, when everybody's got video doorbells and stuff, so we do not advocate sneaking vegetables onto your neighbor's porches <laughs> at night. We advocate going over no, there with a nice not. little basket and saying, would you like some? Most of them will take some. And don't give them the baseball bats like my neighbor Roy does. Give them the nice, pretty ones that they can't find at the store. Right. Exactly. I've got some baseball bats out there, Dee. So you know what I do with those? Do you make zucchini bread? I hide them in the bottom of the compost heap. Well, you know what? The sow bugs and worms will love them. Good job. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I like to help where I can. I'm all about nature, you know. You're all about helping the smallest critters. <laughs> yeah. So this time of summer, it reminds me, my aunt said, and I quote, we eat so good in the summertime when we, we eat out of the garden. And I know you feel the same way. I do feel the same way. It's why I have a vegetable garden. It's all because of my grandma, Nita. Um, my grandma, Nita, was the vegetable growing queen and we used to go to her house every summer and I never tasted food like that. I think it's why I like vegetables. She always piled her table high with green beans that were cooked long and slow, right? Because yep, that's how they cooked them yep. back then with bacon. And then with, she always with bacon. Yeah, absolutely with, with bacon. The bacon. Which occasionally I eat them that way because they are so good. Um oh my gosh, it, yes. And here we call it pot liquor. What the stuff, the juice that's left over. And you know what my grandmother used to love to dip in pot liquor? Ah, uh, tell me. Cornbread. She would go, we would go to her house and she'd serve green beans, sliced tomatoes, uh, fried squash as only she could fry it. And I can fry it because I know her secret. Um, she would have cornbread that she made homemade on the table and real butter. My mom didn't use real butter at the time. And I just remember thinking, oh, and green onions. She almost always had some green onions. I'm not sure how. Just how good her food was. Okay, well, stop right there, Dee. Hmm? You have a secret for fried squash from your grandma, yeah, Nita? I do. You going to tell it? it? 
Are you? I've told you that secret before. You want me to tell what everybody else? Yeah. The secret is that you slice it long ways, very thin, not not you know paper thin like you're making zoodles, but just slice it long ways, salt and pepper it real heavy, dredge it in flour, no egg. You don't need egg. You just need flour because the salt brings out the moisture, and then you fr- quick fry it. And the reason it's so good is you get all those seeds. And those seeds just pop in your mouth. And I'm telling you, once you fry it that way, and, and plus on top of everything else, it's faster to fry it that way. Because when you fry all those little circles, it takes forever. And my family, I mean, it's a big deal. Like if you ever come over to my house, if you ever travel down to Oklahoma to visit, not only do I have a spare bedroom, Carol, I will make you fried squash. I'm I'm in. So the other thing is the Indiana State Fair is going on now, and I know Oklahoma State Fair isn't until later in September, but I'm always amazed when I go and all the vegetables that people have to show to win win the ribbons with, and I can never figure out, it's like my green beans have all petered out and stuff, and my tomatoes are just coming on, and they have these perfectly ripened, perfect displays of vegetables, and I don't know how they get it all time. They must really work it. They do really work it. They work really hard to get them just right. And you know they refrigerate those green beans and then bring them up to the current temperature and then take them down there so they don't sweat when they put them out on display. And speaking of judging, I actually judge something called the Oklahoma County Free Fair. That's not to be confused with our state fair. Um, A lot of the counties in Oklahoma have a free fair, and ours is at the end of August. I think it's August 25th. And I go in and I'm the one for the last few years who judges the flowers, house plants, um, and there's so many different things of flowers, you wouldn't believe. And then there's a whole succulent section. And I also judge all the vegetables. And some of these vegetables people produce, I'm shocked and amazed, even in the hottest year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they must they must have all kind. I bet if we did some online searching, we could find all their secrets and techniques, or maybe they got secret. Facebook groups where they exchange, this is what you do. So have you got any tomatoes yet? I have a thousand billion tomatoes, Dee. I mean, I'm going to make salsa later today. You know I have tomatoes. It's my Facebook header picture right now of all my tomatoes. I'm bragging. You are bragging. It's embarrassing. (laughs) Um, I want to ask you a question. What I know you've tasted yes. each one of these tomatoes because you have about a thousand. What is your favorite tomato flavor wise this year? And then I'll share mine. Okay, flavor wise, I still have to give a shout out to German Johnson, which is a a, a pink slicing tomato. I now think does, they're delicious. Does German Johnson have a nice acid uh, sweetness balance, or is it more sweet or more acidic? It's, I tend to be more acidic. Now, here's the thing though. Um, this year, and I think it has to do with the water levels and stuff. It, they're really misshapen. So they're really hard. You get like one slice out of the middle, but it's got all those, I'll call them lobes and things. And so you kind of have to cut it into chunks because it's, they're pretty misshapen. Right. It's, it's because the pollen isn't able to fully pollinate the flower probably because of the high temps and you have had kind of dry weather too until recently. So it could be that too. The other, well, do you want to hear which one's my favorite so far this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. 18, 
the yellow 1884 pink heart tomato. And it is an old heirloom. Um, it does not have great disease resistance, but those tomatoes are not only beautiful, they're delicious. And I think I've got one. No, I don't have a ripe one right now to share. I, the bad part is, is the, I haven't shared them online because the minute one ripens, I eat it. I stuff it in my face and eat it. But it has a very yellow. <laughs> or give it to your mama. <laughs> or give it to my mama. Not very many of the yellow pink hearts have made it to mama. Only one or two. Don't tell her. Um, the, it's a light yellow, a lemon yellow, and it has a beautiful pink center in the tomato. And I've got about five on there right now that are starting to grow and ripen. It makes a nice big tomato. One of the best tomatoes I've ever had first year I've grown it. So you have definitely got to pause for just 60 seconds the next time you have one and take a picture to share with us so we can see the beauty of this great tomato. You know, I really do. I really, really, really do. So, but are you? Maybe. (laughs) Okay. I can hardly wait. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to our dirt. Yes. And you brought our dirt today. I brought some dirt today. And actually, you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast how hard you've been working in the garden. And it just seems like it's a lot of hard work. So it is. It's a big garden. There's, it's a big garden that's a lot of work. And I know you want to scale some things back because you want to do travel and things like that. And like you scaled back by not planting squash and things that would ripen while you were gone. Well, right. There's a new book that came out this summer. It's called The Lifelong Gardener by Tony Gatoni. She lives out in California. But this book is really for anybody that's trying to figure out how to make your garden a little less work, a little less strenuous. Nice. And she's got some great ideas. The book kind of is in three sections. And the first section, let me open it up here make sure I get this right. The first section is about you and your body, and it's like exercises and how to take care of yourself so that you're ready to go out there to the garden. And then Ooh, I love the, next section, the next section is all about your garden and things you can do and depending on your level of ability. So um, the older we get, the less we like to be kneeling down sometimes or bending over. Right. And so changing to raised beds, which I know you have some beautiful raised beds in your garden. Not because you're some old, you can but because sit you on. wanted, yeah, but in yeah. anticipation of your age. And then she's got a section on tools and getting ergonomic tools. And one of the examples, and I discovered that this year, I bought those fabric hoses. And those things are so lightweight that I can literally lift it off a 75-foot hose. I can lift it off and just take it right to wherever, drag it wherever I want. But she's got That's some nice. great ideas for how to make the tools better. And it's it's kind of, the subtitle is, Garden with Ease and Joy at Any Age. And so I think it's it's really a very fun book with a lot of great ideas. I think it's a very timely book, too. Yes. Because, you know, face it, we boomers are getting older but I, I, and you yeah. know, you want to, you want to be careful about handing a book to somebody and say, Hey, this is for gardeners who are aging <laughs> and hand it to somebody and say, I think you need this. I think you want to hand it to anybody and say, Hey, if you want to 
garden smart from the get-go, here's some ideas on better tools, a better way to set up your garden, and how to take care of yourself so you are able to do stuff. But it's The Lifelong Gardener by Tony Gattoni. And it's put out by Timber Press. They always produce some really, really great books. So, um, yeah. They do. And we'll put a link to this. And I want to give a shout-out, too. um, When we talk about books, we'll put links to Amazon so people can go read more about them. But I always tell people it's easy to click on that Amazon link. But. It is. Go find your independent bookstore and ask them to get the book for you. So. It is just as easy if you have a relationship with your independent bookseller. It's just as easy to pick up the phone and call them really quickly and say, hey, can you order this for me? And yeah, it might not get to your house in two days, but you're helping out your local bookseller and you're also putting taxes back into your local community. Right. And I have a local bookseller and local for me, this lady, it's it's about, oh, 20 to 25 minutes in a town called Franklin, Indiana. It's Wild Geese Bookshop and they are lovely people. They actually have a website and they have a form and I just go fill out the form and say, hey, can you get this? And then when they get it, they just text me and say, hey, Carol, we've got your book and I have a reason to go down to the bookstore, which is good. That's a great idea. I'll, I'll give a shout out to my local bookstore too. I think some of them do listen to this podcast. It's Best of Books. It's in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is about from my door to their door is 18 minutes. And so I was just in there this week and bought some books. And they they have a wonderful program for uh, people who buy books. They also support our local schools. And so I, I want to support them. Right. Wild Geese teachers always get like 10% off. They have a, they have a local book club once a month. I mean, I think Ours the, does too. the local bookstores, it's, if you can't hang out at the garden center, cause I did go down to my local greenhouse just to check in. Cause I hadn't been in a while and bought a new hanging basket. If you can't hang out at a garden center, the next best place is a bookstore. Is a bookstore. And in honor of this, I'm wearing a t-shirt that a friend gave me that basically says, all you need in life are books and a garden. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so with that, so Carol, D, this is our 40th. This is our 40th episode, Carol. It is. I can't believe it's our 40th episode. That's amazing. Um, I, we need to remind people where to find us in addition on here. Yes. Well, first of all, let's remind people what is a garden angelus? Because we know I there made that go. word up. And a garden evangelist is an evangelist for gardening. We spread the good news about gardening. That's right. And where can people find us, D? They can find us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com, on Facebook, on The Garden Angelist, and on our individual pages, Red Dirt Ramblings and May Dreams Gardens. They can find us on our blogs, which are also named that. They can find us on Instagram as The Garden Angelist and on Indie Gardener and Red Dirt Ramblings. And they can find us on Twitter and anywhere pretty much that you listen to podcasts. You can now download this podcast or you can listen to it online on Buzzsprout. And you can subscribe via iTunes or any of those other services. And then they will notify you anytime we upload an episode. But we Which is about once a week. Yes. We want to thank all our listeners. We love you guys. And we really wouldn't do this if we didn't get such nice feedback from people. 
So with yeah, that D, we just talk alone. <laughs> with that D, it was great talking with you over the garden gate. You too, Carol. Have a great day. You too. Bye.